Um, hello, everybody, uh, and Kia Ora. So today is the second webinar uh, in a two-part series where we talk about the updated guide to road safety. So the session today will be about part seven, uh, which focuses on road safety strategy development uh, and road safety management. We have almost 600 people registered for today's session. Uh, welcome to you all, and it's great to have you with us. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a communications officer at Austroads, and I will be moderating today's session together with one of our presenters, Dr. Tana Ten, a research and evaluations lead from Safe System Solutions, who will moderate the Q&A uh, part of the session. Uh, before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to all this past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. So a little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved uh, road transport network. The project that we are focusing on today was delivered under the Road Safety and Design Program, which is managed by uh, Michael Newstick. A little bit of housekeeping. Uh, so our presenters will speak for 40 minutes and then we will have a Q&A session for 15 minutes. The report uh, and the slides today's presentation is based on can be downloaded from uh, the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right hand side of your screen. There's also a question section there, so please use it to send us your questions for the Q&A uh, at any stage during the webinar. Uh, if your question relates to any particular slide, just include the number of that slide in your message uh, to help us answer your question as best as we can. Also, you can use that same box to let us know if you have any technical problems. But just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely uh, with your connection. So leaving the session, closing the browser and rejoining again by your registration link usually helps. Uh, this session is being recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. And if you listen to podcasts, uh, you can find Austros in your podcast app. Um, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce um, our presenters for today, uh, Dr. Tana Ten, Ken Beer, and uh, Johan Strandroth. So Dr. Tana Ten will do a quick introduction. Uh, Tana has over 10 years experience uh, as a researcher, project manager, consultant, and trainer. He has authored several peer-reviewed um, papers uh, on vehicle safety and has conducted evaluations uh, of road safety treatments such as shared paths, uh, protected roundabouts, and audio tactile line marking. Tana also conducts training and capacity building domestically and overseas. Our second presenter is Ken Beer. He will talk about the restructure of the Guide to Road Safety. Uh, Ken has 20 years experience in road safety engineering, planning, policy and strategy development. He's one of um, Australia's most active safe system practitioners and trainers. And our third presenter is Johan Strandroth. Um, he will talk about part seven in detail. Johan is from Sweden, uh, where he helped develop uh, the analytical framework and strategy for implementation of uh, Vision Zero. He has worked as the safe system lead in Vic Roads and as project director at Transport for Victoria, overseeing the development of Victoria's uh, next road safety strategy. Johan uh, has a background as a civil engineer and holds a master's in injury prevention and a PhD in machine and vehicle systems and it's 5 p.m uh 5 a.m sorry uh in sweden so thanks johan for presenting for us um at such uh, such an early hour um so welcome to all our presenters and i will now hand over to tana thank you, you. Katerina. um again welcome and thank you very much for joining us at this uh, webinar um, I'd just like to introduce you to the project team lived this, uh, the AGRS update and restructure project. So on your screen, the top left-hand side, you'll see that James Holgate was the Australia project manager for this project. On the right-hand side of your screen, there's uh, a list of the working group individuals, and you can see that they have come, um, come from all around Australia as well as New Zealand. Uh, I'd like to acknowledge each and every one of them and thank them for helping us with this project. Um, this project was delivered to Austroads by Safe System Solutions. You can see the contributors to this project on the screen left-hand side. Um, and we were supported by Abley in New Zealand. 
And on that note, I'd like to hand over to uh, Ken Beer, who will take you through a good part of the, uh, the presentation. And over to you, Ken. Uh, just move my slides on. So this project was uh, predominantly restructuring and updating the uh, former Austroids Guide to Road Safety. Uh, and you can see the parts that were in that former Guide to Road Safety, the nine parts. So there was um, some reordering of those and some use of some of those, uh, the information out of those parts. Uh, then a lot of other source material, which was published Ostroads material that wasn't present in the guides uh, and some additional material added by the Safe System Solutions team. Uh, I do want to acknowledge some of the work of past uh, uh, writers and contributors to the guides uh, and that information has flowed through to the uh, the next guide which is uh, how it looks now but I, I will mention a few individuals and I'll, there's others who um, have contributed but uh, I'll mention Jeremy Woolley, uh, Chris Stokes, Chris Urovich, Blair Turner, Peter Kearney, uh, Mike Ciotis, Paul Hillier, David Beck, uh, Torero, Makwasha, Kelly Emberger, Terry Ann Pettit, uh, Phil Allen, Rob McInerney, Phil Roper, Melissa Watts, uh, Lisa uh, Wondersitz, uh, Peter Palmara, James Thompson, and Simon Rafter. And uh, those are some of the um, legendary names in road safety. And uh, certainly uh, their work is very much valued and has continued on. There has been lots of other bits and pieces updated and, and, uh, and other material added from other contributors. So thanks to everybody for the uh, wonderful contributions there. And uh, yeah, thanks also again to the uh, working group, the Abley team and the Safe System Solutions team for those contributions. So the, the new restructured and updated Austroids Guide to Road Safety, uh, we had a webinar two days ago and you can have a look at the recording on the Austroids website. Uh, which it's now structured in this format where we have the uh, overarching safe system uh, introduction uh, and some guide, guide post signposting to where you can find different parts of information in the guide. Then uh, we have the road safety strategy and management section, which is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, that overarches and, and covers all the elements of the system. Uh, and then we have the particular parts, part two, safe roads, part three, safe speeds, part four, safe people, part five, safe vehicles. And the diagram there sort of acknowledges the interrelationship between those parts uh, and the fact that we're dealing with a very inter interactive multifaceted system. So part seven uh, is a really important part because if we get the strategy and management right, uh, it flows very clearly into those different operational elements in the roads, uh, in the management of speed, uh, in the behavioral interventions, enforcement, and advertising that is, uh, that is conducted and the, uh, the vehicles that are using the network and, and including other sort of elements such as post-crash care and the like. So in setting a, a road safety strategy, uh, there's been quite a bit of acceleration in, in recent years in, in the way that this is being viewed. And it's wonderful that we've got Dr. Joran Strandroth uh, uh, who's going to present some of this because he's been at the cutting edge of this for quite a, quite a long time. But it, a lot of it comes about with that commitment and that aspiration of zero deaths and serious injuries on the road network. And we're having more and more jurisdictions committing to a year in the future where they will achieve zero death and serious injury. So be that a 2050 or a 2056 or some jurisdictions are coming in earlier than that, but we're seeing a lot of that happening. The questions that then come about is what does that end state look like? Okay, how do we actually have a road environment and road users and vehicles operating and moving people and goods around a network that achieves zero death and serious injury? 
Uh, and, and the philosophy around road safety strategy development has really started to advance in looking from that backcasting methodology to look at that future state and, and really work on what does that look like and then working back uh, in segments to understand what will need to be done to transform the system uh, to set us on a path for that end state. The alternative being the forecasting style approaches where you um, utilise past knowledge on interventions and sort of forecast out where you expect that might get you. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of this because Yoen is going to take you in, in a lot more detail in that and some of the advantages of it and some of the challenges we face. But it is a, a really interesting and fundamental shift. And the part seven now contains more information about this sort of road safety strategy uh, setting uh, and then the management and governance uh, around that. It's wonderful to see uh, the continued inclusion of local government, uh, road safety management and road safety strategies within part seven. And again, thanks to the Abley crew for their input to that and some of the past material from the, uh, from the previous guides uh, associated with local, uh, local government uh, and some of the new information that has also been added. So it presents a, a really nice package there for local government for state government, for federal governments, or for, for other jurisdictions. So I think that's probably enough from me, and I'll hand it over at this stage to Yoen. But uh, just before I do that, I do remind you that we've, we've got time allocated and we're very keen for questions to come in uh, so we can uh, explore areas that you have a particular interest in. Uh, and yeah, we've got time set aside for that, and any we don't get to, we will provide written comments on that. So I'll hand over now to Yoen and uh, we'll see you back here later for any questions. All right. Hello, everyone. Um, and um, let's uh, continue down the path of the um, road safety strategy and management. And um, we will first just look at some of the content uh, of the guides, and we will not go through that in detail in terms of looking at all the um, all the parts of that. But it's just worth looking at um, the table of contents, seeing that um, there's the first part there, which is sort of introduction and problem analysis, countermeasure selection, and a set of um, sections and chapters and contents that's relating to strategy development and the implementation of the strategy monitoring and evaluation etc um, there's a big part of it that is about identifying and analyzing risk and evaluating and prioritizing risks and treating risks and then also around risk assessment and case studies and there's an important section in the end also mentioning the challenge and the opportunities in uh, local governments and their involvement and engagement in uh, in strategy development. Um, but let's go into the actual presentation and and look a bit at road safety strategy and management and what is actually changing in this landscape of strategy development around the world. And um, even though the guide doesn't contain all the details uh, on this, it's still a reflection on uh, and includes sort of reflections and content around that changing landscape. And um, some of that is mentioned in the guide, even though it's maybe not in in the great detail. But we want to take you through some of these areas and the bullets and the dot points that you see on the screen here. Um, in order to set the context for that changing landscape. So in terms of setting dates for achieving zero, um, Ken mentioned it, it's an important part of uh, what's changed over the last decade, I would say, in terms of strategy development, where we can see that um, jurisdictions, cities, countries, uh, areas um, are not only looking at uh, uh, reducing trauma by 20%, 30%, 50% in the near term or in, in the interim, 
more and more are actually putting out those more ambitious zero targets by 2040, 2050, 2060, uh, to really make a stand for that they're serious about eliminating trauma. And it's interesting to understand then when you put out that kind of bold statement, how does that change your planning processes? Or rather a more important question, how does your planning process need to change in order to uh, achieve those ambitious targets? Um, and what do you need to do with your organizations? And what are the work that needs to be connected to such a target so that it's not just a target, but actually um, inspires and engaged um, activities uh, and analytics um, to actually achieve those targets. Managing, managing by objectives um, is really about trying to understand um, not only an overall target uh, in terms of trauma reduction, but how your system needs to change as a whole and what capacity comes with that um, or what is the capacity, capacity need that comes with that, which is sort of the next bullet. Um, what are the capabilities and the capacity needed to understand the system changes that needs to be done? Um, and how do you monitor and evaluate the changes that need to happen to make sure that you're on that sustainable pathway all the way down to zero? Um, and being able to see where you deviate from that pathway and make corrections and additional countermeasures or additional interventions to make sure that you're on that journey. Um, so that's part of the strategy progress review practices, which is also part of the guide. And then there's an updated coverage, just acknowledging the importance of local government context um, as, uh, as an important partner in, in strategy development. So we'll have a look at each of these dot points really one by one to dig a bit more detail into, into um, how and why they are important in strategy development. <clears throat> so we can see around the world really um, that as we mentioned, um, more and more um, jurisdictions and cities and countries are actually putting up targets with uh, zero with a date. Um, and this is part of section 5.1 in the guide, um, but let's explore on it a bit on this presentation. Um, and um, we can see also that it's happening in Australia, New Zealand, um, around Australasia, and we see targets around 2040, 2050, 2056. Um, and there's not many that put up zero trauma targets by 2030, but it's so what we see is this long-term 20, 30 year perspective where we said that in the next 20, 30 years, we aim to totally eliminate um, fatalities and life-changing injuries as a result of, of road traffic. And that's quite a change actually, even though before we've talked about vision zero or safe system and that it's uh, unacceptable that no one would die, we haven't really put it, um, a date on it. It's more been like an ethical imperative and then we've connected it to an interim strategy which says 20 or 30 or 50 percent reduction of, of serious trauma in the next <clears throat> in the next five or ten years, um, which is all good and that needs to happen as well. Um, but today we can see that we go beyond that. It's um, there could be a strategy talking about zero trauma in 2050 or 2060, and then there's an action plan connected to that that talks about the near-term actions and the funding envelope uh, in the current budget or, or what needs to be done in the interim to take us on that pathway. And it's interesting, I think, to understand why this is happening and some of the underlying reasons to why we can see that um, organizations, even companies or, or countries, um, sort of take a stand and, and say that they really are serious in eliminating trauma. Um, one reason for it is, I think, compared to early days of Vision Zero and safe system, uh, or the system, safe system approach was that it, it, warm, it was more or less just a vision, um, like a holy number or um, uh, a, a very important number, but, but may, uh, not really more than a vision. Um, so not really an understandable reality on how the system needs to look like. It was more the 
ethical imperative that no one should die, no one should be seriously injured. And then we do what we can in the interim to, to sort of go on that journey. So we try to come up with cost-effective solutions in the near term um, to take us on that journey. And everything that sort of gets us to a better place is good. Um, that's that's quite different to where we are today actually with a lot of research has gone into um, understanding the relationship between um, speed and injuries uh, how good vehicles uh, look like the changing landscape of vehicle safety improvement infrastructure development all the um, um, best practices that has developed in in enforcement etc we know a lot more now on how you need to build those system elements to actually achieve achieve a very good outcome and we can see also around the world that, that some jurisdictions are doing pretty good in this so we can see for example oslo the capital of norway um not a huge city but but um, a bit more than one million inhabitants uh, actually achieved zero fatalities and injuries with vulnerable road users last year um or 2019 and it's not really because of seasonal variations or luck or they were lucky lucky with the data that year it's really because of a systematic change in the environment where they understand what humans can take in terms of of um, their biomechanical tolerance how you build a system where cars are not exceeding that and and hitting pedestrians and how you sort of do that year by year by year and finally you come to a stage where you actually create a safe system we have very few, uh, we can also see that we have very few fatalities with five-star cars in on five-star roads, for example. And so we start to understand bits and pieces of the system, how it should look like to achieve zero, even though we haven't figured all, uh, all road users everywhere, all the time, um, and in all ages. We can see that we get more and more knowledge on how that system should look like. And that helps us to understand where we need to go. And the second part of why people are putting out these ambitious targets, I think, is we know the power of um, a target when it comes to driving policy and innovation. And there's a lot of smart policymakers out there um, that knows what uh, it means to have a politician or a government stating a certain target and how you can sort of drive innovation and, and policy changes. Uh, with that target and holding people accountable for that target. So it, it's also that other more soft side uh, part of it. Um, going forward, forward is interesting to see that what we all often see missing in those ambitious targets is a roadmap on how to get there. It's all good and fine to have a target of zero, 2050, 2040 or whenever, but it has to change the way that we um, understand and plan our system. Otherwise, it'll just be another nice heading, but not really um, a reality. So it needs to change the way that we do things. And we need to understand um, how to form a strategy that gets to that target and doesn't leave 50% of the trauma when the strategy ends. So how do we do that? And what are some of the principles that's connected to that type of planning? So in section four and in some of the appendix, Appendixes. Um, it's uh, mentioning about backcasting. And backcasting in, in uh, this context um, means to try to understand what the future, um, what the desirable future look like. And it's interesting to see though that we should acknowledge that this is not a concept that's sort of been developed in road safety, but more in sustainability research, where we've sort of um, need to understand what a sustainable future, a sustainable environment looks like in order to try to understand what is the difference and the gap between that desirable future and what we have today. And it's a saving road safety really. And it's not like it's totally um, removing the need for the other types of, of plannings like forecasting and scenario develop. It's still very important in strategy development. It all has its place. So, where forecasting uh, would be familiar to most of you to try to understand the most likely future given a, a baseline projection or a business as usual development um, and scenarios would be to understand if we're not happy with that forecast, what do we do in addition to change that, um, that future? Um, how can we um, 
introduce countermeasures to change the future uh, based on that forecast and the things that we that we want to see and backcasting and then a strong tool to try to define that uh, desirable future um, so just one more slide on on backcasting because i think this is really one of the changes and one of the important bits in strategy development that ken mentions in the beginning is to not only uh, which we've often done in the past actually look at the current system and then try to find the most cost effective solution to gain 20 or 30 percent improvement and then after that uh, look at the next step because that'll sort of take you one step at a time into something that you don't really know where you're going and you may end up with redundant features because you spend a lot of money on infrastructure and then vehicle is still solving the problem or the other way around so you need to understand again uh, which we've said more um, multiple times that we're talking about the system here and we need to know how these different system elements work and how they should work in the future so the first step is to really create an awareness and, and a vision on how that system looks like. What are the future vehicles? What are the future uh, infrastructure components? What are the expectations on road users? Um, how can and uh, can we expect them to behave? And what are acceptable behaviors and, and not? And how do we mitigate that? What are the place for enforcement and education? Um, all of those things need to be quite clear and that's not there's certain given in this where we can draw from best practice research literature and all of that which is a very essential part of trying to form that future but it's also about agreeing with the community on what type of society do we want what is a livable city um, what are the transport modes that we see are dominating in in our cities uh, when we get to work uh, on rural roads what are the movement functions that we need um, to actually get freight going and those are important elements to understand how do we create a safe future but not only safe but also safe mobility so that we can get to work um, uh, get goods um, uh, sort of have active transport modes that are sort of increasing the well-being of, of us and and nice um, uh, sort of um, walks to school and that's part of that vision really um, but part of it will be to understand how we design those areas to be safe and then the next step would be more a baseline analysis that we can see in, in B here, which is to understand, okay, if that is the future that we want, um, what is the gap between that desirable future and what we have today? And with more and more sophisticated data and asset uh, management systems, etc., we are actually on, on the way to be able to quantify this gap quite good. Um, at least in the area that's possible to quantify. So if we define how our um, major highway corridor should look like in terms of barrier equipment, uh, in terms of lane width, in terms of other features on that road, um, how do they look today? And how many kilometers of road do we need to upgrade until we are um, at that future state where we need to be? Um, and in terms of the vehicle fleet how do they look today how does the new vehicles look how does the whole fleet look and what do we expect from the vehicles of the future in 2050 will that be a 20 year old vehicle 10 year old vehicles are we scrapping vehicles are we accepting a 20 year old vehicle because that would be a 2030 vehicle so all of that type of, of analysis needs to be done in the baseline analysis and the gap analysis to understand that future versus current and then the next logical step c and d in this case is obviously to try to map out then the sustainable pathway to close that gap which obviously needs to take local context into place that's where in different parts of the world the future might look quite similar but the pathway to get there might look quite different depending on local priorities, depending on, on budget constraints, depending on the political climate, community acceptance, or uh, the fact that maybe 80% of your fatalities are, are power two wheelers, or 80% of your trauma is cars, is in cars. So it, it all depends um, on your local context, but the steps are the same.
So <clears throat> how does trauma modeling and understanding um, crashes and injuries and systemic risks in your system come into place? Because that's always been a strong focus of a scientifically sound strategy development process. And it's really no different in this new landscape uh, that we see at least. Um, and that's also part of, of this section four and, and the appendix. Um, sort of illustrated here by the chain of events of crashes where you uh, it's normally used as a way of describing the the um, the phase of normal driving where something happens uh, ends up in an emergency situation um, in an unavoidable crash and the crash and potentially an injury um, it's quite um, common in all types of accident research or crash research injury research um, that you do this type of, of uh, crash models. Um, and in this case, we've introduced different types of interventions to intervene in this chain and bring the, um, the scenario back to the normal driving phase, if possible, if there's intelligent vehicle safety systems that can do that. But other if the crash is unavoidable in terms of barrier systems and, and uh, crash worthiness of vehicles, uh, make sure that the injury doesn't happen. Um, what we need to understand is what this looks like today, but also in the future, uh, because we want to understand what the future crash looks like so that we're developing strategies not based on only the crashes of the past, but crashes of today and crashes of the future so that we can deal with sort of current but also emerging problems and, and challenges. So if we identify the gap, as we said earlier, in the actual system, um, the type of roads that needs improvement, the type of, of enforcement measures that needs to be enhanced, etc. Um, we still need to understand where to start. If we need to transform 15,000 kilometers on network, where do we start really? Because we obviously wouldn't have the budget to do it all, um, at least not in the first five years. And this is where trauma modeling comes into place and comes into the picture and guides us towards the most effective treatments in the interim. Really what we want to do, we want to spend money on where it matters most, where we get the most benefit for every dollar. And, and it's then about, of course, identify high-risk routes, identifying high-risk locations and, and identifying high-risk areas or systematic uh, crash types and systematic risks in the system that, that we can see. Um, a process to do that normally would start with some types of, of baseline analysis. So if we have the crashes that we have today um, and we have a certain projected increase of population or traffic growth or certain mode shifts or um, other types of exposure measures or external factors, uh, uh, sort of affecting the transport system. What can we expect in terms of crashes and injuries in the future? Uh, is it an increase, a decrease, etc.? Um, and overlaid to that would be obviously things that would happen even though it doesn't, it's the policy changes needed to see those changes has already happened. So for example, there's a regulation uh, that's happened in 2012 around standard of electronic stability control. Um, that still continues to improve the vehicle fleet because we still have old cars that are exchanged to new cars, which gets EAC. So that will make a change even in 20, 23, 25, 30, etc. Um, and we need to understand those changes so that we're not develop a strategy to 2030 or 2040, which solves the problem that current or that past policy changes already will solve. So we need to understand the future residual of crashes with vehicle changes coming in, with a pipeline of infrastructure improvements that we have already uh, in our budget or with enforcement measures that are already planned. Um, taking that into account, what are the future trauma that we can expect and how do we develop a scenario that will sort of address and target specifically those crashes? So, um, that is the next step in this, to try to create a scenario um, where we uh, come up with a combination of treatment that as effective as possible uh, reduces those future residual crashes into um, a number that is acceptable in the interim that takes us to those 
uh, interim target that also puts us on a pathway to zero. And that is where it might be a bit different also with this changing landscape that we need to make sure that whatever we put up as a scenario, as an action plan in the interim, not only achieve those um, interim targets in the near term, but also takes us on a pathway that really eliminate trauma. Like it might be a bit more expensive in the interim. Um, like if you build a five-story building, um, um, you need to start with the first floor and you need to build that first floor so that it actually holds up the other floors. Now that might be a bit more expensive than if you build a one-story house, but it's worth it because otherwise the building will fall apart when you come to story um, two or three or four. So it's really the same thing here that we wanna make sure that we, that we build in those transformative elements in the system early on because later in the process, it will be too late and it will be too costly to go back and change the things that we've done wrong. So <clears throat> last I wanna mention in this slide is also around trauma modeling. Uh, it doesn't only help you to set those trauma targets, but one important parameter in this is to set up um, the transformational elements of the system where we, uh, take the key performance, safety performance indicators and understand what they need to be in the future as well. And that is where trauma targets, or oh, sorry, trauma modeling could help us to understand uh, the changes needed in the system and when they need to be in certain point in time to achieve these targets. So we wanna mention something around uh, safety performance indicators and, and the and tracking and monitoring safety performance indicators as uh, section five in, in the guide. And it's really relating to managing these objectives. Now, this is an example from Sweden, where it says a suite of safety performance indicators. And it might look just as a, a shopping list of items, which we know uh, if they are improved, makes the system better. And that's true in a sense. But really there's been two years of modeling and analytics behind uh, setting up this, the target in 2020 in this case for what these indicators should look like because what lies behind this is an understanding of what the system needs to look like in 2050 to achieve zero and then work backwards from there to understand if, if this is the 30 year journey that we're heading for what does what what are the level of the different system components that needs to be in place in a certain point in time and in this case in 2020 um, and it's also based on a lot of iteration and optimization where we say that well we cannot really afford to change the whole vehicle fleet or the whole road transport system by 2020 we and we need to do um uh, we, we need to do speed management, we need to sort of continue to work with safe road users and protective gear and motorcycle safety and all those other things that together make up that safe system. Uh, and we're at a certain starting point and we are at the current place and we're aiming for something else. And the combined effect of achieving these targets for each of the KPIs or the SPIs are estimated to be that we will achieve these trauma targets. And then year by year, you sort of try to monitor and understand where you are on this transformational journey. And you can see some in, some in red, some in green, sort of indicator if we're happy with the development, if it's sort of happening according to the, the trend that needs to be happening to achieve those targets, or if it's not in line with the required trend. Um, so that's an important part um, we shall come back to in a second. But just acknowledging also that this pyramid sort of illustrates, uh, which is part of section one, the safe system practices that needs to be embedded to actually understand or to actually enable this journey towards uh, zero. So at the top of the pyramid, we have the results in the terms of ultimate outcomes of uh, the long-term goal, goal of serious injuries and and uh, and death, um, and below that uh, the interim targets and key performance indicators and interventions that need to be in place to to make this happen. But below that is also institutional management functions, 
like this doesn't just happen um, there needs to be a lot of capacity uh, in lead agencies in uh, supporting agencies in stakeholders in government where you have leaderships and and sort of understanding capability capacity um, around this chain around these things that needs to happen in order to get there so without going through that in detail it's just an acknowledgement that making sure that those capa um, capacities there or rather first assess if if an organization have the capacity and then sort of make recommendations on how to further improve and build this capacity is a very important part in uh, road safety management it's sometimes really the starting point if you want to achieve in the in the end these um, sort of long-term goals going back a bit to strategy review processes and the the case with um, key performance indicators or safety performance indicators there are some real opportunities here for australasia but also for other parts of the world where we can see that there's good good practices around making sure that when a strategy is in place um, there is follow-up there is monitoring and evaluation and there's a, a public facing type of acknowledgement where we are on this journey uh, we can see around the world that a lot of this is happening behind closed door within government because you don't want to be transparent with the results that you might have or probably not have um, but we can see that, that at least in europe in sweden and in other countries um, also in some parts of, of australia um, there's there's good examples of where there's more transparent practices um, where you um, have annual result conference for example you invite stakeholders you invite uh, really media and and the public to take part in um, a presentation of where you are in, with your kpis with your system transformation with the things that's happened during the year uh, things that needs to happen going forward and this joint positions paper between stakeholders on where do you take it from there um, and obviously part of this would be uh, independent review by experts where you call in independent experts to actually give you guidance on where you need to improve and and where you have good best practices that you want to highlight as, as success stories so there was recently um, um, a result conference in europe um, with the european commission and they have that every year to follow up how they how they're going so it's happened on the national level but it also happens on jurisdictional level and and on um, uh, federal level where uh, you have some common performance indicators that we can point to and and be transparent about and encourage each other to do better and to to help each other really to find those good examples um, <clears throat> last but definitely not least um, we uh, there is a section in the guide that talks about or really acknowledge the uh, challenge identified by the national uh, inquiry, inquiry uh, in road safety uh, around the fact that a lot of trauma is on local government roads um, and they stand for or trauma on those roads stand for a big proportion of of the overall trauma um, which just shows the importance of getting local governments involved in the process of strategy development uh, and there is a section there that talks about the encouragement and and uh, the engagement of local governments and how you can um, uh, build capacity and provide resources to local governments to uh, involve them in a successful way in and that's covered in section section 18. so that will end my part of the presentation and i will leave it over to um, uh, to Ken and to Tana to uh, to continue this. Thank you. Thanks, Joanne. And uh, we'll start with some questions. Uh, so Tana, did you want to kick off the the questions there? Yeah. 
sorry about the uh, the minor delay, um, but thank you very much for Ken stepping in. Um, so there are a number of very, very good questions here. We'll um, be able to get to some of them, but certainly not all. And those that we don't respond here today, we will respond uh, offline. So I'm going to start off this question with a, um, a, a sort of an injury definition uh, question, Manning, that does sort of underpin some of the strategies as well in terms of understanding what type of injuries are being sustained, whether fatal and serious injuries or not. So the question is, well, there are actually two questions within this one question. I'll answer both in one go. Um, is a broken finger a serious injury crash around the world? And the second part of the question is, is any work underway to make a more medical-based rating of serious injuries? Um, generally speaking, a broken finger would probably not be classified as a serious injury um, under any of the um, medical systems. Um, with regard to the second part of the question, um, there are a number of uh, medical um, rating systems ready uh, that have been used. Uh, one of the more popular ones was, is called the Abbreviated Injury Scale, or AIS for short. It was started in, in the US in 1969, and there's been since about seven or eight um, updates or iterations of it. Um, that system is a great system. Uh, it does go down to a significant amount of details in terms of the injury sustained and also classifies injuries from no injury all the way up to fatal injuries on scale of zero to seven. Um, as I mentioned, it's widely used in the US. Um, it's also quite commonly used in Europe as well. Not so much in Australia and New Zealand. Um, I'm not going to go to discussions to why that is. It's, it's a quite a long topic discussion. Um, but I'm hoping that the AIS will also be used more frequently by various jurisdictions in Australia in the future. Um, so hopefully that answers your question there. Um, the, so this second question, um, I'll throw it to both Ken and Johan. Um, the question is, along with a long-term safety strategy, we also need an enabling apolitical transport safety strategy and security to long-term investment in road safety projects. What is our game plan to achieve this 30-year transport strategy slash action plan? Yeah, I'll, I'll have a quick uh, answer and then I'm sure UN's got more in-depth uh, answers to that, but I, I agree that the there is a lot of frustration around industry and our very short-term strategic thinking and then strategies being um, overtaken by political change. Uh, and it's so important in this long-term uh, vision zero planning to have that continuity. But I think the sort of basis that can be set within a jurisdiction um, in terms of the agencies managing the, uh, the system uh, behind the scenes can be there and can continue on. And the uh, political posturing can can continue, but the uh, the professionals within the agencies have the understanding of that long term vision, which may not be, you know, the full details details of it may not be the political uh, football, uh, but the uh, sound uh, strategic uh, actions can be there and can continue on regardless of which government's in power. But I'll us over to UN for any further input to that and maybe some examples from around the world and where success has been achieved. Well, thanks, Ken. Um, yeah, I would just sort of agree to that, that really road safety is just part of a big, it should be part of a transport strategy. Um, uh, as we've seen, just doing a safety strategy is quite vulnerable because we change our government every three or four years, uh, that safety envelope or the funding envelope can disappear pretty quickly. Um, it could be a, a subject for political sort of just exchange, someone, someone want to do something different. And especially if you have a budget or you have a system set up, which is only relating to safety, that's quite vulnerable. Really what I, encouraged by is that road safety is now part of a bigger story. It's part of this sustainable development goal by the UN, um, sustainable transport in general, and also connected to what we, at least in um, Australia, call moment and place, where we not only just agree on what a safe road should look like, but also what type of transport system are we trying to create in different parts of the, of, of the system? What does a good 
city looks like in terms of transport hubs, uh, pedestrian areas, um, movement corridors, etc. What does a good rural road setting looks like that can move people and goods in low traffic areas, high traffic areas? And if we agree to that, and if we get politicians and the community to agree on that, that this is the future that we're looking for. We're not as dependent because we've sort of already agreed that this is where we're going towards. This is our transport strategy. This is where we do public transport. This is where we do trams. This is where we do bicycles, etc. Which means that obviously every every budget, every government would need to sort of um, fight for funds, but you're doing it in a context where you've already decided where you're going. And now it's more about prioritizing in the interim to actually uh, get the means to get there and build the capacity to do that. So you need that broader agreement of uh, where the transport system is heading. And we can see it definitely in major US cities and major uh, European cities. London is one good example where they actually um, sort of really set out the scene from what their system should look like and have a broader transport strategy which involves public transport etc and and that affects the day-to-day -day decisions on uh, implementing isa uh, intelligence speed assist on all buses uh, in banning some traffic in some pedestrian areas because they know where they're going and they make safety decisions align with that and and it'll be very hard for any politicians to be elected and then back away from that so it becomes much more uh, or much less sensitive in a sense yeah thank you ken and thank you Johan, for your insights into uh into that question there um Johan, i think this question uh might just be right down the alley it's regarding uh, vehicles um Johan does have an extensive experience with vehicles uh, he's performed hundreds of uh, crash investigations uh, so I'm going to throw this one to you. Uh, the question is, how will we know what the impact will be of future developments, for example, in vehicle technology? Yeah, no, that's a good question and a very broad area. Um, I think there's a few parts to that. One is, um, what would what can we expect just by exchanging the current vehicle fleet to the absolute best vehicle that we have today? That is the biggest change. Um, going from that into totally autonomous cars uh, or totally sort of autonomous vehicles, that, that's it. it's another discussion that we can take in step two. But just sort of exchanging the vehicle fleet into a five-star vehicle that has good crashworthiness, airbags, a good crash structure that can take a side impact, take a um, take um, a frontal impact that is sort of pedestrian friendly in the sense that it's it's uh, have um, a good structure in the front to be more forgiving against pedestrians but also introduce systems like electronic stability control lane keep assist autonomous emergency braking for pedestrians for rear end for frontal for cross traffic all those systems that we can see coming into new vehicles either now or in the next one or two years they're on the on the regulatory agenda they're on the ncap agenda to to be fitted to have five star if you do that that is the first step and we we've done there is actually the potential to do modeling which we've done in several um, australian jurisdictions to understand what is the safety impact of just that and we can see that it it may reduce trauma by 40 percent approximately so the message is it's going to make a huge impact to just exchange the current vehicle fleet towards the best vehicle today but it's not going to do the whole trick it's not going to do okay let's wait for vehicles to do the job and then sit back and not do anything else no it's going to remove a significant proportion of trauma but but not everything so in combination with infrastructure where we have good line markings where we have good sight lines where we have things in the infrastructure that take care of vehicles that sort of where the systems are failing is an is an essential part as well um, and that needs to go together and be planned together now just very quickly the other part would be okay where, where when you go from the best vehicle that you have today to connected and autonomous vehicles well you're renting in whole new space and i think that's um more difficult to project because it requires a digital infrastructure it requires uh, different regulation it requires so much more 
I think we can assume that they'll be safer in many ways. You can predict the speed of vehicles, you can predict uh, what the vehicles will do in a better sense, but still also in that autonomous vehicles, the critical safety systems will be the same as we have today. AAB, lane keep assist, and good crashworthiness. That needs to be the requirement of that autonomous vehicles itself. So sure, there will be additional benefits to that autonomy, but really what sits behind it and which will be the major impact will be what we already see today. So. Fantastic, thank you very much, Johan, for that, uh, that detailed explanation. And I hope the, uh, the person who sent the questioning has got a, um, a good answer from Johan. Um, I've got time for one more question. I'm going to roll two questions into one, so very, very similar. Um, Ken, I'm going to put this question to you so you can slide, uh, skip over to slide number 21 in the slide deck, uh, starting point. Uh, Ken's done a lot of work with local government uh, organisations right across Australia. And the question is, um, because LGAs tend to not have a lot of resources, especially funding, how best do they set up a strategy and then also implement it? And what could be done to encourage more LGAs uh, to adopt local strategies? Yeah, it's a, it is a wonderful question. Uh, and uh, as we've mentioned, the Austroads Guides are building more and more resources for local governments, more guidance in there in this guide, as well as the other parts have, have continued to build on that. But it is a huge network uh, out there from just a, an infrastructure perspective uh, for local governments to manage and to transform. Uh, and uh, there are significant challenges there. So I think that this one's really, we need to work across levels of government. Uh, and so we need to provide that funding from a federal sense, state uh, sense uh, to local governments for that investment. Uh, and that investment can be uh, both the infrastructure perspective, but also I think early phases is the strategy development. And there's been some wonderful examples around Australia uh, where local governments are funded to develop road safety strategies to set that pathway to a, um, a, a vision of zero death and serious injury or a transformation of their system. Not just the, uh, the roads, although that certainly plays a, an important part of it, but also sort of acknowledging what local governments can do uh, within uh, vehicles and, and their fleet uh, and also uh, vehicle purchasing policies that they can share with their local industries or their um, other fleet managers uh, in their local government area. Uh, also into the management of speed and working with state authorities on the management of speed. Uh, and then uh, the raft of behavioural change interventions uh, because local governments do have that closest interface with the community of any level of government. Uh, they're there uh, very much uh, have one-on-ones or group uh, sessions with uh, their local community and it's another touch point with the community to look for alterations to the uh, to the system to uh, improve the safety of the, the safe system. So uh, I mean those examples of things like the TAC uh, putting forward $30,000 grants to local government to invest in the development of their strategy that aligns with uh, the safe system and long-term vision and setting that blueprint that Yoen talked about of a future state. Um, that then helps for any investment that comes uh, with the federal stimulus packages or the uh, state uh, packages that, that come out to be able to align that with a vision uh, of a transformation of a network. So there is money flowing to local governments. It's about making sure we get the best bang for the buck out of that uh, and it aligns with those long-term visions. Uh, and then just continued capability, capacity building, guidance, alterations of standards and guidelines to be more safe system aligned so they can use those. Uh, and anybody uh, setting up programs uh, for local governments uh, to be ensuring that the guidance and the program objectives and the funding are all tied to these um, strategic objectives. So there's quite a bit that, that can be done in that space uh, and uh, sort of encouraging and empowering local governments is, is the new way of the future here. Fantastic, thank you very much, Ken. 
Um, there have been a number of really good questions been sent in uh, throughout this Q&A session and also during the uh, presentation as well. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we can't get to all of them uh, at this webinar, but we will certainly respond to them offline. So on that note, thank you very much, Ken and Johan, for your presentation and answering your questions. And I'm just going to hand back the uh, controls to Ekaterina. Thank you very much, Tana. Thank you, Ken and Johan. Um, another great presentation and uh, a very interesting Q&A. Um, and as Ken mentioned earlier in the session, for those of you in the audience who couldn't join us uh, for the first webinar in this series on Tuesday this week, uh, you can now watch the recording um, on the Austro's website. So you can see um, all our future events uh, on your screen now. Um, I wanted to draw your attention to a webinar we have on the 14th of September. Uh, we are hosting it together with the CSIRO and the Department of Infrastructure, Transport, um, Regional Development and Communications. Um, and they will present their joint initiative, uh, the Supply Chain Benchmarking Dashboard, which provides modeling and insights um, on Australian supply chain uh, performance. So visit our website for more information um, about each session um, and to register. And as Tana said, uh, we do have some questions left and we will get back to you with the answers. Um, after the session. So um, last thing before we close off today's session, um, there will be a survey that will pop up on your screen. So please take a couple of minutes to fill it in. Let us know what you liked or didn't like about the session and what suggestions you have. Um, it really helps us to shape our future webinar program. Um, and once again, today's session is being recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. So thanks again, everybody. Stay well and safe um, and enjoy the rest of your day. We will see you next time.